Folks, I told you, Black History Month, we're going to have some real heavy hitters on. And this, this person I have coming on, let me tell you, it took me two years to get her on the show. Actually, I got her on well, Afram. We had a snippet on Afram, a little snippet, but we really, God, we're going to get to the meat of things. And everybody knows her in, in the DMV area. She has one of the best newspapers around. And I want you, can't wait for you guys to hear her story. Hear a little bit about what's going on next. What's next? How are they going to sustain this? Next voice you'll hear is Miss Lisa Snowden. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Welcome to the No Picks After Dark podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today we have, I told you, one of the biggest heavy hitters in the DMV area in Baltimore. If you don't know her paper right now, you better find out. You better go out there and get one right now. Ms. Lisa Snowden, the editor-in-chief of the Baltimore Beat. What's up? Thank you so much for having me on. You know I'm pumped right now. I'm <laughs> pumped I got you in here. It took me a, a whole year to get you in here. I'm excited to be here. You are the busiest person I know. <laughs> yes. You are so busy. So let's, I'm going to give you your flowers, okay? You've been doing some great things in the community. You've always been since I found you on Twitter. That's where I found you on Twitter. Because <laughs> I was like, damn, she dropped some truth bombs out here. And I was like, all right, she really talked some stuff. Let me follow her. And what you, I, you have been my source. For the last three to four years in Baltimore. And so I want to give you your flowers of what you're doing out there for the community. You may not think you're doing it, but you're doing an amazing job before the beat came back. But we want to let you know on No Picks of Dark, give you your flowers because we want to appreciate what you're doing. So let's talk about you. Okay. All right. Are you originally, you're from, you're from Annapolis, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Let me start from there. Did you always want to be a journalist growing up? Always. Like I, I, my mom was a school teacher. She always took me and my brother to the library. Like I devoured books. I would walk out the library with a stack of books, almost as tall as I would, and just rip through them. And I knew then that I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know specifically that I wanted to be a journalist, but I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And I kind of went through school knowing that. Uh, when I got to college, I was kind of like, do I want to be creative writer? Do I want to be a journalist? I ended up being a journalist because it felt more practical. Like I could help more people being doing a doing journalism. So that's how I ended up being a journalist. Wow. So that that's that's dope because that's you followed your passion, mm -hmm. and that's what you want to do. Not people can get that and find a job. You're like, what was one of the first big gigs that you got? Like big interviews, like when you first started in the journalism world. I'm not a person that's had like big gigs. I feel like I'm kind of like a slow burner. Okay. So and I'm I'm naturally shy. So when I first went, I went to Towson University in Baltimore County. Uh, when I was there, I interned at WBAL, which is you know the local NBC affiliate here in Baltimore. Did that, I was getting up at like the crack of dawn on mm. Saturday mornings to go help out with the Saturday morning news. And I did that for a while. The producer that I worked with was nice enough to let me write and help and like learn how a show came together. 
And when my internship was over, she said, well, we're not hiring here, but over like up the hill, basically on TV Hill at Channel 13, WJZ, they, they always are hiring writers for their shows. And so I went and I applied and that was my first job in journalism, wow. writing for the four five and six o'clock news and sometimes the 11 o'clock news at WJZ. Wow. What, what, would you, uh, what would you say you gained from that experience of writing for TV? Like Learning how to write in a high pressure environment, um, learning how to deal with all types of people, learning, being able to kind of observe how stories come together. So I've always known that I, w- I did not want to be like the kind of reporter that's in front of the camera, but there's still like a lot of work that comes, that comes from like, there's a lot of work that goes into what you see on TV. So I got a chance to uh, go out like with the photographers and the reporters and watch the reporters gather news, watch them like write their scripts. And, and so I really got a, a, a view of a lot of different ways that news happens. And while I was there, because this is a little while ago and I am no longer young, um, I ended up being their first, one of their first web reporters because when I got there, they kind of like, they had a website, but it was really like an afterthought. Like the priority was TV. Mm. And then every, like a few things that came on TV, they would put it on the website. But um, at the time that I was there, their parent company was like, all right, we need to be more intentional about this internet thing, I guess. And so that really helped me even get another view of news because it was figuring out how to help translate things that people saw on TV, like live or heard or watched and turned it into something that people could read online or access online. Mm. And that was an interesting process because it started out like the reporters would have to kind of give us their scripts and give us some of their documents and stuff so we could put it online. And at first they were like, why would I do this when like, I want people to watch the show. Mm -hmm. And then toward the end of the time that I was there, they were like, willing to give us stuff like they were they were understanding the power of the internet so i kind of came into it at a strange time where the internet has become this other tool for journalism so you were like on a you were on the you were like on the cutting edge of that man was yeah that's that's really cool because that's when i think about that i remember when internet was starting to get bigger and bigger that's where i get my news now Mm -hmm. i don't i don't even watch tv anymore yeah i want i read off the internet what's going you know different channels i read the baltimore b online <laughs> so you know that's but that's what i do now i don't really watch live tv anymore mm-hmm. i don't watch tv so from that standpoint you left how long were you there and then like when did you get because so you worked in the there, sun for a little bit right yes so okay. i was there for i was at uh, jay-z for a few years mm-hmm. i left because i wanted to do some more reporting because when i was writing at wjz it was like taking a reporter script and breaking it down into like a 20 mm-hmm. second voiceover that you might hear like an anchor read um, so that wasn't any of the reporting that I was doing. Um, I went and actually worked at a place that did news for firefighters and EMTs and police officers. Mm. And that was really interesting and challenging because I did not, I w- did not go into there knowing anything about, you know, besides what we all know about uh, first responders. But um, I got to really figure out how, okay, even if I'm in a situation where this might not necessarily be my passion, how do I still generate good stories? So like I mostly wrote about firefighters stuff. And at this time, firefighters were dealing with the aftermath of 9-11 mm. in New York. And so there were times where they were getting sick and dying. And it wasn't like, like, you know, a line of duty death when someone runs into a house and then they die in the process of that. That's very 
you know, straightforward. You can see that they died from responding to that fire. But some of these fires, these, some of these deaths that happened after 9-11, it wasn't that, it wasn't that cut and dry. They might have like been at the towers and breathed in some fumes or whatever, lived for a while and then died after that. So it was like people that were trying to get, um, you know, families that were trying to get the rights that they needed because they had lost a loved one. Mm. So those were stories that were happening. Obama was came into office, so that was, you know, a thing that we wrote about. So I, I figured out ways, that was during a time where I really think I figured out ways to find ways to make stories interesting, even if they were on the surface, were not things that would naturally interest me. And realizing that if I was able to do, do that in creating the stories, it would create stories that other people wanted to read. Mm. And I'm sorry. Go no, no, go ahead. I'm listening. I'm listening. From there, um, I moved to St. Thomas for a while. Okay. That had nothing to do with my career. <laughs> it, came, it had to do with the fact that <laughs> hey. I had a house that I could live in rent free. And um, so we, at the, my husband at the time and I went down there. Um, my son was a newborn. I ended up having a daughter while I was down there. Mm. And St. Thomas was interesting because I brought a lot of that back to Baltimore. Um, just like Baltimore, St. Thomas and Baltimore are both places where it's like um, large black populations, relatively large, because St. Thomas is a small island. But you know, there's a lot of black people mm -hmm. there, a lot of wealth there, but somehow the wealth is not connecting to the black people. Mm. So like writing a lot about those kind of stories, people that are living in public housing, older black people who don't have the access to the care that they need um writing about those kind of stories really that's where i started to get passionate about those kind of things and thinking about the disparities between you know haves and have nots and how so many times like people that look like us are shut out even when like there's a yacht <laughs> like outside and and so i did that for a while we decided to come back to Maryland because that's where the free babysitters were. <laughs> and I started writing for the Afro here in Baltimore, which was an honor because the Afro has been around forever. Mm -hmm. um, did that for a while. The people at Baltimore City Paper saw my work. Baltimore City Paper, for those who don't know, is an alt-weekly that was around for about 40 years. It mm -hmm. just ended a few years ago. And there I got to really do long-form reporting. Mm -hmm. Like, they, you know, in city paper, you can write a story that's like 2,000 words and stretches out over like several pages. Mm. It, it's like it gives you an opportunity instead of just seeing like what you might read like in a newspaper, a daily newspaper or on the paper on the on TV. You'll see that like, you know, Brandon Scott went and saw the oversaw the opening of a boys and girls club. City paper stories were really like give you a wide angle view of that. So, okay, we know that Brandon Scott went and opened this Boys and Girls Club, but what does that mean for this community? Mm. What is the history of this community? Why is this club important? So really giving you the chance to really stretch out and really think deeply about important issues and history. And I really fell in love with that. Like, it's intimidating to sit down and be like, I'm about to write <laughs> like 3,000 words. That's a lot of words. And, but like, I think that City Paper gave you the space to do that because it was a print paper. City paper was a kind of thing where like you left it at a bar or you left it on a bus, somebody else picked it up. Mm -hmm. And maybe you read a little bit of the story here and you read a little bit of the story there. And then it get, lets you really like digest the story. So city paper was there. Um, I came at the tail end of city paper. 
Um, CD Paper had been purchased by The Sun a few years before I got there. Mm. And when The Sun purchased them, they knew. Everybody pretty much knew. Like, this is the beginning of the end for CD Paper. They did end it. I was lucky. I got to go. I still had a job because The Sun hired me on to their editorial board. Oh, wow. While I was gone and I started that job, my old editor-in-chief at City Paper was looking for somebody to buy it. Because people did want to buy it. It turned a profit. It just wasn't a big enough profit for the Sun's ownership. Uh-huh. The Sun would not allow it to be bought, but um, Brandon Soderberg, my editor-in-chief, found someone who wanted to start a new paper since we couldn't buy that one. And then they asked me to be the editor-in-chief of that, and that would be Baltimore Beat. Okay, okay. So it seems like all these experiences from journalism and whatnot has created what we see now. Yes. Is that what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm getting all this in one big bow. So what we're going to do folks is you got a little background about history, about Miss Lisa. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Baltimore beat and really get into it because I really want people to support it, figure out and tell them how to support it, mm-hmm. where to find it all over the city. It's easy to find. And really, I think we need a paper like this in Baltimore for the people. And like you said, something you said that was very important, you said long pieces Mm -hmm. that really affect the community. We don't have those anymore. Mm -hmm. And those are what we really need. So folks, we'll be right back after these messages. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help someone find, interview for, and get hired for a job and provide follow-up services for success. It can break down educational barriers and give that extra help to a struggling student with in-school support programs. Give today. Spark something bigger. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m., or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com, and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. All right, folks, we are back with Miss Lisa Snowden. How are you? I'm great. Hey, this has been a great episode. I've learned so much about you just... I mean, I didn't even know you were down the Caribbean just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, you were down there. I, I like that. But let's talk about the Baltimore beat because you really, uh, everything you said shaped, seems like the Baltimore beat that it's been building towards this. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to do this? Like, why did you like, tell us, I mean, I know this hat from what I read in the past, this took, how long did it take for this to actually come to fruition for your so dream? The Baltimore beat has actually lived a few lives. Right. So like the first version of it was a regular for-profit paper Mm -hmm. like most journalism that you interact with exists off of the ads that people buy and that was the same with Baltimore Beat Um, our publisher at the time did not find that sustainable and pulled out pretty abruptly after about five months Mm. but when we kind of got came came out of that people were coming to me and saying Lisa there are other reporters all over the country 
that are dealing with the same thing that you do, you are right now. Like they are finding themselves without a newsroom, finding themselves in a position where they need to build this newsroom and realizing that nonprofit might be a better way to go. Because nonprofit means that you can, like, you know, with a, with a for-profit paper, I could write a big story exposing a large, powerful company and they could say, oh, okay, well, we're yanking all of our ads out. This is something that is supported by the community. And at the same time, other people are seeing the value of journalism. And so there's a lot of big money journalism fund funding that's out available right now. And so taking advantage of that and they've been taking advantage of the networks that are happening all over the country of other journalists that are rebuilding kind of the infrastructure of journalism through nonprofit media. And that's how we were able to relaunch the beat about a year after our publishers pull out as a nonprofit. So once we, re we relaunched, we didn't have the same resources as our publisher provided us. Like we weren't really able to, it was basically just me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit with uh, my partner, Brandon Soderberg, but he was also writing a book. So um, we kind of bumped along the best we could, but back in 2020, when the pandemic hit, mm. um, we were all dealing with kind of the reverberations after George Floyd's death. There was a foundation here in Baltimore called the Hollif Center Foundation, a white family from Baltimore City that had been giving out their money, you know, piecemeal through grants here and there. But they really felt called at that moment to be like, we have to do more as white people with access to power. And they actually gave the Baltimore Beat a million dollars. And we were able to take that money and revamp the beat, hire our arts and culture editor, um, hire a few other people and have a free paper that we give out every two weeks across the city. Now people are going to ask, how is this sustainable? Like, how does that, that's the question. Like I'm a lot of people are going to ask. They're probably yeah, wondering I mean, like, how does, I mean, in today's climate, like donations are great, mm -hmm. but you need somebody like, how do you, how do you, how do you sustain that? Right now we feel like, well, right now, luckily the, the million dollars does give us a nice cushion. Okay. But I do feel strongly that people understand how important journalism is, especially at this moment. And I feel strongly that people will use that to help further it and see how important the beat is. Um, right now at the bottom of our beat, our arts and culture editor, Terry Henderson, is the only black arts and culture editor in the city of Baltimore, a city that kind of like is moved by mm. our arts and culture, like Baltimore Club. Mm. There's so much art that comes out of this place and there needs to be more black people shaping how that's told. I'm one of very few black editors in chief. We also have the opportunity because we have Morgan State University that's right down the road. We have Howard that's not too far away. We have other colleges where we have young writers, especially young writers of color that are coming to Baltimore and they're not able to stay here because they can't find work. Mm -hmm. I really want the beat to be a place where young journalists can come and either stay here and make a life for themselves and tell the city stories or go other places and, you know, be big names, go to the New York Times and still carry with them parts of Baltimore. And I really feel like I know that the money is out there. And I also feel strong that there are people that understand the value of that, the value of black people telling black stories, the value of preserving our history. You know, we talked a little bit off camera. You were in the Baltimore Bee. Right. And I think it's important to tell your story as a person from Baltimore and important to show you like we had this picture of you where you're like wearing a suit you're in this position of power and you don't know how many young boys or young girls or anybody who saw that 
and we'll be inspired. And now like we, the world might look very different in 20, 30, 40 years when they're in our position. And like the beat helps plant those seeds to make those kind of things happen. I will tell you, this first time I'll admit this on camera. <laughs> I told Terry, I said I cried when I saw that cover. Because exactly what you're, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting shivers right now in my spine because I remember her saying, this is going to be the cover. This is going to be it. And I said, wow. And that really, like, now when you walking me through this whole thing, mm -hmm. I didn't really, I, I knew I was going for a different angle, but I didn't realize, now you look at that picture, the impact that could be yeah. going forward. And, not, and something that I really stand for is representation matters. And that is so important. I never knew any black women. I mean, I knew Oprah. I knew there were people that I could see on TV, but I never knew in my real life any black woman journalist. So it was something that I had to kind of like, fumbling through the dark in my career. It's like, I think that it's important to hold up people in our community that are doing work in all different kinds of fields. And kids can see that and say, wow, I can be that too. And that's, that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Telling stories of us. And that's one thing I, you know, you talk, think about when you grew up, when I grew up, we we're the same age, Jet Magazine was around. Mm -hmm. Essence Magazine, Ebony. We had all these good resources to read. Yep. I didn't, when I was growing up, I didn't read any white publications to be perfectly honest it was in my house it was jet mm -hmm. Essence. that's what you, those are <laughs> yeah. the magazines we were reading that's all it was yep. and that's what that's what i grew up on so seeing successful people in those magazines you're like yeah yep. i can't let the girl be like that so i think i, I look at the bowling beat the same way and what you guys i mean they you had a story of a black cowboy yeah like how how amazing a black cowboy to see that on the cover like that's what it's about like Wow, I didn't know we had that. Well, I want to hear the story. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I mean, you already know. So you, you know, but it's just that's what I love about what you guys are doing out here and telling these amazing stories. What like what have you heard from your listeners, your readers, when they tell you about these like these these the uh, issues you come out with? What's been the feedback? Nothing but positive, and it's like it's terrifying because it feels like. You don't know. Like when we got that money back in, in 2020, we immediately started planning. And I had these ideas and things that I was observing from kind of like watching white media that frustrated me. Um, you talk about, you saw me a lot on Twitter. That's how you got to know me. Like that, that was fueled a lot by anger and like seeing things that were not being said in traditional white media or the, the voices that were not heard. So like, Figuring out how to address those issues that I saw and creating this thing. You don't know how it's going to be received until it comes out into the world. But it's really been nothing but positivity. Nothing but people saying they're so happy that we're here. Um, it just so happens yesterday. Uh, Essence Magazine had a little story about us. And so it's been getting a little bit more buzz. We've been getting more people on Instagram and on Twitter and even them, they're like nothing but love. Like nobody being like, well, why? Like everyone's just like, of course, like, yes, we're so happy that you're here and keep going. Like of all ages of black people, I especially was wondering how older black folks would, would kind of accept me. Cause I feel like I'm a little bit different. I don't know. I'm a little bit, more progressive mm -hmm. and I don't know how that's always going to be received but like it seems like they like it too which I'm very happy about you know I, I look at your paper and it's like right at my alley where I look at it and it's talking to you people talking to me 
and understanding what uh, what's what's out there, what's going on. I'm very informed. When you guys come out, it's like every other week. I'm like, I'm ready for. I'm ready. <laughs> you guys took a little hiatus. I get it. You need a break. You need a time. But I was very excited when it came back. I was like, yes. This is what I'll read. Do you think it's sustainable to do paper still? Or do you think, or do you see yourself imagining transfer, leaving paper and going to online? I know like, because one of the big things you said, you were like, you want access to everyone. Yeah. And that was one of the big things you came out with. But do you feel like, you know, paper costs money, it as does. you know, internet's not as much. Would you ever see yourself maybe slowly transitioning that way to make keep keep it going or would that be one of the last things you cut that would be one of the last things okay. I cut. I, again i really do feel like one of the things in the article that was picked up by essence adam hall of center who was interviewed as a representative of the family that gave us the money said there are about forty thousand millionaires found foundations just like his okay. all over the country that have access to funds the money is there I don't ever want to limit my thinking or what I think that black people deserve by like acting out of fear. And there is a definite need for a print paper. Like I have the luxury, you and I have the luxury of being able to kind of get our phone out and scroll for endless amounts of time. <laughs> but the reality is there's still so many people that are shut out from that. People that gotta go like sign up and go to the library and hope for the best. And so I've tried to build a thing that like, maybe the print seems unrealistic, but I've tried to be very realistic in the way that I've built my paper. Like we mm -hmm. only do do it every other week. Mm -hmm. We also make sure in every issue, there is a calendar mm -hmm. that does community events. There's a calendar that does arts events. And we just started when we came back in the new year, a listing of free and reduce services. Mm. Like if you need rent assistance, if you need to know where to get free groceries, that is a resource that people, like a practical resource that people need, especially now with times getting harder mm -hmm. and people tightening their belt. Like there's help for like even internet access in there. So I think that that's a very practical thing that people that have money should be willing to invest in. No, I, I agree. You know, you, you hit on something that's really like, um, core to me where you're like the money's out there <laughs> and as you know i mean i'm out here like figuring out all right how can this people want this podcast they like it they want to keep it going but how do you keep it going yep. how do you keep it successful and like you said i'm always looking yep. you know you might see me people like you were at, you were at cambridge at a conference there's a reason why yep. i'm there you know i saw you were in europe for a conference mm -hmm. There's a, I, I didn't even guess it. Because matter of fact, we were hanging out the day before and you went to, you yeah. went, you went to Europe. I'll look up yep. like, she in Europe, I just, had, just saw her at night. But I get it. You know, you were in Austin, right? Austin, doing mm -hmm. your thing. But that's, you're spreading the word. You're getting the word out. People are knowing who you are and getting your name out there. Because somebody out there has money. And they're like, mm -hmm. hey, let, let me throw a couple dollars. Because, you know, so I like, I'm going to call it the hustle. Yep. I like your hustle, is. what you're out there doing. And try to make it happen. And you're going to make it happen. You know, so now with the new, I would love to see an interview with you and the new, the new, the new governor. I feel like mm -hmm. the beat deserve the, the people deserve that interview. Is that something you're looking to do or are you trying to shy away from politics or just trying to do more community? Like, what are you trying to, as far as. Never shy away from politics. Okay. Politics touch everything. Um, I'm going to give him some space. Our new governor is very good. Like, <laughs> I, I, I feel like 
the place where I am as a journalist, I want to make sure that if I'm talking to a politician, I am not becoming free advertisement for them. Mm. Um, with Westmore, like I said, he's real good. He is very good. Right now, he looks great. He looks very glassy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sit back and watch a little bit. I'm going to see if there's a need for it. But I would love to talk to him about a few things. But I'm, I'm going to sit back and wait a little bit first. We do talk. I wrote about him a little bit in the issue that's coming out this week okay. because I tried to walk the line of we're happy that we're Hogan is gone. Hogan was not a friend to Baltimore. This is a we now have a governor who lives in Baltimore who called Baltimore his adopted home. We have a governor who's black. He's the first black governor ever in this very very old <laughs> state's history. And that's a thing that matters and that people feel encouraged by. Um, so honoring the way that people might feel hopeful and excited while also recognizing that just because somebody is the same color as me does not necessarily mean like they're looking out for our best interest. So walking that line is something that I'm really trying to do right now with him. So this was going to come out again. This is Black History Month, this episode. Um, is there anything that you're doing special for Black History Month coming up? Anything for Women's History Month? Anything? Any sneak? Any, well, any, can you give us a little <laughs> any, any behind the curtain? Like any sneak previews or... We're lucky in that we are a black paper, so every day is black history. (laughs) True, true. This is true. I love um, it. Terry is working on something that's kind of highlighting some black musicians. That's going to start next month, and that's something that we want to continue because, like, sometimes people want to look like kind of clump Baltimore music into DMV music Mm. or Maryland music. Baltimore is its own very specific place. We have a lot of really talented and passionate musicians that we want to put shine on. So that's coming up. Nice, nice. And what else, like, I mean, what do you hope people walk away with this interview with? Like, what do you want them to walk away with just from, like, the Baltimore beat yourself? Like, what do you want them to say after watching this? If they haven't heard about us, I would love for them to go on our website and read all of our stories there. Or go on our website and look for a place where you can pick up a copy of the beat. Just engage in it. If you do happen to have a million dollars in your family foundation (laughs) and you would like to give it to the beat, you'll be putting it in good hands. Um, And the issue that is coming out this week as we're taping it, we have a story that's written by a young black man who's in college. Like we are literally putting money Mm. in young writers' hands right now. So more money means more money that I can put into black creatives' hands. Like this is a young man who hasn't even finished school yet and already has a byline that'll help give him a step up in his in his field. So so really just like engaging with us, giving us a chance, and if you do have some money, um, we, we can put it to good use. What about any young um, black creators out there who might want to say, hey, I, want, I would love to do an article or something like that? How can they get a hold of you? Is that a possibility? Yes, okay. please. That's how, that's how this young person um, got his chance. Okay. He emailed me. He had a resume and a cover letter and some samples. Um, I'm at Lisa. I'm Lisa at BaltimoreBeat.com. Very, very simple. Um, email me. Pitch me a story. Send me some samples, if you, from writing samples if you got them, and we can work together. Oh, you heard it, you folks. You hear, you hear. Listen, you can be in the Baltimore Beat. I'm not saying you get it, but you got to go to the writing samples. Yeah. Like she said, I'm not guaranteeing you. I'm just saying opportunities there. Yeah. And that's what's about opportunity. And one of my themes of this year is for this podcast is opportunity and access. Yeah. Those are the two biggest things out here, opportunity and access. And I appreciate you giving us access to you for this interview because this has been very meaningful and 
I really wanted to do this interview because I wanted people to see you, know your story, because we can hear it on the radio. We can hear all this <laughs> on the radio. But seeing some of my actual and hearing them and understanding what they've gone through, what they've learned, how they've done all this training to get to this point, it's a great thing to hear and see it at the same token. So I really appreciate your time. Well, I mean, I think it's a mutual admiration society because I appreciate what you're doing and how thoughtful you are and how you want to bring everybody with you. You, you have to. We can't do it by ourselves. Yep. And that's at the end of the day. I don't care how good you think you are. Ain't nobody doing it by themselves. They need help. And whatever I can do to promote black businesses, I'm going to do it and give that voice out there with my audience. That's what it's about at the end of the day. Because um, I want my kids to be like, wow, because they don't have, they don't have Jet Magazine. They don't yeah. have, they don't have everything. They don't have those opportunities that we had growing up. Yeah. And if they had the opportunity to see, read people and look like people like, you know what, maybe I want to be a writer. Maybe I want to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. And you know, hopefully that could be changed one person's life. That's all that matters. One, one or two people. It's like, oh, well, let me, and then, are you doing any internships this summer? Just to throw it out no, there. No, not yet. Not we're still, yet. We're still very much in like the building stages. Okay. So I want to bring, Young people, then when we're ready for them. Got you, got you. Anything else you want to say before we? It's gonna be out in Black History Month. It's gonna be February thirteenth when this drops. Anything else? Nope, that's it. I think. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blessing experience. Thank you so much for dropping jewels and gems. I'm keeping my notes in my head. Like, damn, you really <laughs> dropped a lot of stuff. And keep on doing what you're doing. And folks, go please support. It comes out every two weeks. You can look online, and it'll show you where you can pick it, pick the Baltimore beat up. Is it in the county, too? Can you get in the Not county? Not yet. Still no. in the city. Okay, still in the city. So come in the city, folks. Come <laughs> check it out. Baltimore's not a scary city, okay? Come hang out. Come check it out. Look online. Ms. Lisa, thank you so much. The editor-in-chief, I can say that to a black person, <laughs> of the Baltimore beat. Love, peace, we're out. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Carver Communications, where we turn water into wine. What do successful companies like Nike and Microsoft have in common? They all have full-service public relations departments that fuel every aspect of their business. Bill Gates has repeatedly said, if I had one last dollar, I would spend it on PR. Smart business owners and executives understand that to grow their businesses, and their brands, they need PR. That's where Carver PR comes in. Carver PR is one of the most premier PR agencies located in Washington, D.C. They handle media relations, marketing, branding, corporate strategy, and crisis. With 25 years in the communication field, they are well-versed in every area of business you can imagine. Political, entertainment, corporate, and nonprofit communications. Go to their website and check them out, therealcarver.com, or reach out to them now at therealcarver at gmail.com.